Welcome to Buy This Comic, the show where you keep the vital and vibrant medium of comics alive by infusing it with your hard-earned cash. I'm your host, Jason Mojica, and this week we're joined by Mark Russell. Hello, Mark. Hi, Jason. How you doing? I'm good. Mark is the writer of Not All Robots, a five-issue limited series published by AWA. The second issue is out now. We'll talk to Mark all about it right after this word from our sponsor. Comics. They're not just for grown-ups anymore. Join the Hey Kids Comics Club and every month we'll send you a new graphic novel for kids ages 6 to 10 plus a members only zine with lots of fun stuff in it. Go to heykidscomics.net to learn more. Uh, so Mark, for starters, how would you describe Not All Robots? It's, I don't know if I would describe it as dystopian. Uh, I would describe it maybe as, as pre-dystopian. It's about <laughs> like the near future in which robots have been given all the jobs mm-hmm. and uh, humans are kind of, I guess, reduced to their pets. Uh, the, the way they, they got around like letting everyone starve to death because robots had taken over all the jobs was that they assigned a robot to each human household. Mm-hmm. So each human household has a robot of which they are usually terrified by uh-huh. and the robot kind of resents the human family that it's now expected to support uh by 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 earning all the money and it's kind of about that tension right right i mean so, so it evokes things that i've read and i can't remember exactly which authors or what books or whatever but people who speak positively about advances in ai and automation and robotics right. they tend to say this will free up humans to do things that you know they actually like to do and also things that machines can't do things that make us uniquely human so I, I guess- ideally that's true and that's kind of why I'm, i hesitate to describe this as a dystopia because in a lot of ways it is nice because the robots have done have have not only taken all the work from humans, but they actually mm-hmm. support the humans doing it. It's not like uh, we've all been reduced to to um, you know wanderers to to vagabonds on the earth. But the thing that's dystopian about it, or mm-hmm. the thing, is that we just sort of passed on our resentments to the robots. That in the end, when we're building AI um, creatures with artificial intelligence, we are in many ways passing on the hardwired mistakes of ourselves. Hmm. We are imbuing them with the resentments we ourselves experience, which uh, creates, of course, the problem, yeah. the central problem, not all robots. And in the world that you've created here, what's the downside for the humans, aside from you know, the resentments being passed on to the machines? But like, is it not bliss well, for humans? or Not exactly. Because uh, the robots, while programmed not to harm humans, have what they call a glitch rate, where once in a while, about 1% of the time, like they will go nuts and kill their family hmm. that they've been assigned to. Which isn't, it sounds like a low, it's like COVID. It sounds like a low percentage, but 1% means that eventually everyone's going to get it, you know? <laughs> so uh, people are live in constant fear and terror of the, of the metal overlord who lives in their house. And the, the robot, of course, senses that. And it, it's just one more reason to resent the humans that it's being forced to live with. Right. And the robots have created this whole sort of like, um, uh, radicalization cottage industry whereby they begin sort of like online on like blogs like called Forsheen, start <laughs> positing that maybe it's not a bad thing that we kill these human beings maybe mm-hmm. this is all for the best and so that's kind of where the the relationship for the robots and the humans begins to seriously deteriorate when the robots start thinking maybe this isn't a glitch at all Mm-hmm. Well, 
so speaking of kind of the differences between uh, robots, you know, you talk about them getting radicalized online, so that seems to suggest that they don't they don't start out bad. They're not born bad, but somehow right. in this process something happens. So can you talk to me about the character Razorball? Yeah, Razorball, I think, starts out just like you say. He's, he's neutral, he's open to this, but he uh, resents being saddled with the family. He resents his workplace because he's just sort of like conducting uh, factory tours and feels like he's not being, is a, because he's competing against other creatures with artificial intelligence and that don't need to sleep or anything, he, he's, uh, he feels like his, he's not really being his full capabilities are not being explored, mm -hmm. which I guess is probably the way we all feel, especially mm -hmm. since we're now kind of a nation of uh, baristas with like three master's degrees. And, mm -hmm. you know, we all feel kind of like underutilized and like the world is not, um, the world has not created a position worthy of human intelligence for most people. Most people do things that are well below their cape, not only well below their capabilities, but well below any semblance of, of fulfillment in their work. And that's kind of the situation Razorball's in. Right. And he knows that his family fears him. And it's just one more thing that just sort of makes his existence feel like a, uh, like a chore. Right. What do you suppose just, just jumping back to the, uh, the imagined bliss of uh, living free from work and, and free to be all that humans can be. What do you think humans can do that machines won't ever be able to? Well, the the answer I came up with in writing this comic was uh, cutting hair. <laughs> it's not the machines can't cut hair. It's that, you know, you, people aren't going to want their hair cut by this really efficient scissor wielding robot whizzing cutting implements around its head in an extremely fast, efficient manner. We want somebody who's going to like, who knows what it feels like to get their ear cut off or, or has the empathy of not wanting to be poked themselves to be the one poking around our head. So in a way, that's kind of the one, the one job that, that humans have been able to retain. Yeah, that's, that doesn't sound so far-fetched. I mean, I feel like all of the job growth these days is in, you know, service industries. Right. And, and, uh... Yeah, ultimately, the one thing <laughs> that we cannot sort of outsource to artificial intelligence is the feeling of being human. Mm -hmm. And so that's the jobs that require that sort of empathy or that somebody extrapolating their experience as a human onto you those jobs will probably be the last ones to go. Right, right. And I'm curious, did you, is the world of AI and machine learning something that you've, that you followed before you started developing this series? Yeah, yeah. I think the thing that really got me started thinking about like uh, AI and its implications are, uh, I was reading a thing, I forget where, but it basically said that, you know, despite all of the technocrats' um, reassurances that it's okay, we're not just, we're going to, we'll do artificial intelligence responsibly. We'll make sure that it's like, you know, regulated and that, that it will, we'll come up with like hard wiring that prevents it from being used against humans. Mm -hmm. uh, all kind of rings hollow to me. I think because of what this one writer, this article said, they said, well, this is sort of like a, um, a 16 year old writing a book on parenting. <laughs> you know, nobody knows really what, AI is going to be capable of until we have it. Nobody really knows what we're doing with creating AI until after we've created it, at which point it's too late to put the genie back in the bottle. Right. And also if we're imbuing them with ethics, it's, I mean, whose ethics, you know, and, and how does that vary yeah, from and I think culture to culture and country to country? This is one of the arguments against, you know, or in favor of uh, automation and say in terms of like police work, 
Mm-hmm. It's that well, they will they won't see skin color. They will be uh, they won't be biased. They'll be neutral, uh, unlike human police, which are uh, obviously um, vulnerable to all kinds of prejudices. Uh, but the, the, in reality, is that that whoever's programming these um, the algorithm that that automated law enforcement would be using would be imbuing that those automated law enforcement with their own prejudices, with their own sort of biases, mm-hmm. maybe even without even realizing it. So rather than eradicating bias and discrimination, it would just sort of encode it, mm-hmm. it would just sort of hardwire it into the system. And of course, as the algorithm adapts to the realities it is itself creating, those biases would just become more pronounced over time. Right, right. So I mean, without spoiling uh, the, the rest of the story and, and uh, pre- or discouraging people from actually going and buying the rest of the issues, where does it go from here? What's at stake? What, what? Well, the, um, the tension between the robots and humans comes to a fevered pitch at one point. Um, so I, I won't say much more than that, but it, the, the tension between them grows until it reaches a breaking point. Yeah. And I should say, um, if it's not immediately obvious, this is a very funny book. It's a darkly comic. That was, book. that was yeah. the idea. Yeah. I'm glad you found it. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, but it's yeah, it's, it's, it, I, I guess you'd call it a sci-fi satire. Indeed. It's great. Um, can you talk to me a bit about working with Mike? Diodata? Yeah, no, he's great. I mean, I wasn't familiar with his work beyond like what he'd done for like Marvel mm-hmm. outside of so I was when uh Axel Alonso AWA suggested him. I was a little skeptical because I I just thought, you know, well, he, he does like superhero stuff. Mm. But then he showed me like the work he'd done for another series that they're doing over there called Bad Mother. Mm. And I and it, and it was immediately sold. I thought, oh, this guy's perfect because he really is good at grabbing sort of the emotional nuances of characters. And his realistic style, I think, is one that works really well with a sort of near-future sci-fi-based story. Mm-hmm. And so he's just been phenomenal at like bringing this work to life far better than what I would have envisioned. That's very cool. Um, where are you based? Portland, Oregon. Oh, Portland. Not, not the other one. Okay. <laughs> yes. For, yes. The other side. Um, so if I lived next door to you, where would, uh, be the best place to, for me to go find a copy of not all robots? Uh, well, my, there's a number of store bookstores. I really like in Portland. The, the, we're, we have no shortage of comic book stores. So I was gonna say, aren't there great 20, things about living here. Or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. But the ones I, I, I like the most are uh, cosmic monkey mm-hmm. uh, over on Northeast Sandy. And then there's uh, books with pictures in Southeast division. Uh, Bridge city comics is really good. There's Excalibur. Any of those would be a great place, not only to pick up nano robots, but just to look around. Cause they're just wonderful comic book stores. Excellent. Um, and comic cave. I'm sorry. Comic I, cave. My, okay. my, <laughs> I got to recommend comic cave. It's owned by a friend of mine. I don't know. So yeah, Comic Cave in, in uh, North Portland is also really good. It's small, but but really well curated, which in a way is kind of an advantage because it doesn't have a ton of comics, but the ones that are in there, uh, Doug, the guy who runs it, really knows his comics well and does a great job of curating what's in a selection. What have I failed to prompt uh, that might be good for us to talk about regarding the book? Well, I think that one thing, I, you know, people ask me a lot about like the, uh, the, the central metaphor. And obviously the, the first issue, there's a big metaphor for, you know, toxic masculinity, 
mm-hmm. where the robots are put in the position of men where they kind of resent being breadwinners and they resent being there is in a way in a lot of ways they resent the privilege that's been thrust upon them because mm-hmm. they 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 don't want to have to deal with the inevitable consequences of of their privilege but in, to a larger degree from there the the metaphor that i was really writing about kind of grew into more about how the basis from which humans from which we resent each other even though it's a story about robots it's really about like human relationships mm-hmm. and i think the basis really is that we feel like we've been reduced to our economic roles mm. and we aren't being seen as people and i think that that's kind of the central metaphor that 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 takes over as the story goes along so i hope that's not too abstract or you know uh uh da but but that's really kind of what i was what, what started taking over my thinking as i was writing this book yeah it's a it's a it's a great book and i would say i'm at I would mean this as a compliment that those metaphors were not a hundred percent obvious. I mean, like it would just, you know, sometimes it just feels like on the nose, like, yes, I get it. I know what you're saying. This is yeah. bad. This is good. I'm not, I'm <laughs> like, not really known for my subtlety. Um, <laughs> but, but so, no, yeah, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad that the, there was some, some mystery because the metaphor is bigger than what it initially appears to be. Yeah. That's excellent. Okay, Not All Robots number two is out now. Head down to your local shop and buy this comic. Mark Russell, thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. And and yes, do as he says, go buy it. (laughs) And you listening in, please make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and follow us on the social media. We are simply buy this comic, all one word. Goodbye.